This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Brina Garen, and you're listening to Hex Positive. Welcome, witches. This is episode 34 of Hex Positive. I'm your host, Brenda Garen, in the studio with producer Havoc this evening. And this month, we're delving into one of my very favorite things, books. Seriously, if the smell of a... Yes, Havoc? Okay, good boy. <laughs> to hell with the blooper reel, I'm leaving this in. Anyway, this month we are delving into one of my very favorite things, books. Seriously, if the smell of a well-stocked library could be bottled as a perfume, I would bathe in it. If you follow me on Instagram or Tumblr, you've probably seen my shelves. They're pretty extensive at this point because I've had a long time to put them together. And my camera roll is pretty much books, cats, and plants anymore. Not necessarily in that order. I get a lot of questions from people asking me for book recommendations, both for particular subjects within witchcraft and for witchcraft in general. I've created a few lists for the most frequent flyers, as it were. I will include them in the show notes over on my WordPress, along with some pictures of my own library, just to give you all some ideas. And today, we are going to talk about how to build and curate your very own witchy library. Now, I say this in the full knowledge that books are technically a luxury and that putting together a personal library takes time and money, a point that we will come back to. But this also applies to any digital materials you might compile, any ebooks you might find, any blog posts or articles you save for future reference, and so forth. A library is books, yes, but it's not just books. So while I'll be referencing books as a sort of basic component for your library, please know that I also mean any other resource materials you might get your hands on. Before we get started, just a couple quick announcements. If you haven't heard, Hex Positive is now on YouTube. I'll be uploading a video version of each episode every two weeks, starting from the beginning until I catch up with the main queue. Then I'll be posting video versions of new episodes at a small delay. Now, I'm no videographer, so these will just be simple title slides. 
but it's one more place you can find your favorite episodes of Hex Positive and an easy way to share the show with your witchy friends and neighbors. As of right now, the first three episodes are up, and I've queued pretty much the whole first season, so there's plenty of content brewing, shall we say? Yeah, the puns don't stop. And yes, I will be uploading the Witchways minisodes and the special bonus episodes at a later date. So make sure you're following my YouTube channel, which you can find by visiting youtube.com slash at hexpositive, or by searching for Hex Positive or Brain Garen. Just look for the big purple Hex Positive logo in the thumbnails. You can't miss it. I may be adding some bonus video content at some point in the future. Anyone who knows me will know I am pretty camera shy. So I may do some Q&As or some AMAs or just some blooper reels of me sitting here and screwing up over and over trying to follow this uh, basic script that I've written out without stumbling over my words, as I've just done here. Uh, and that will probably also have some kitty content, which I know you all love. So make sure you're following me on YouTube and all of the other platforms where Hex Positive exists, and you will get to see that content when it comes out. No live markets for me this month, but there is a Norse Witch Market at Triple Crossing Brewery on Sunday, May 14th, brought to you by the same wonderful people that put together the events at Diversity Richmond. So remember to follow River City Witch Markets on Facebook if you're in the general area of Virginia and you want some fun witchy events to come and attend, uh, if indeed you're even still on Facebook, uh, but all of the details will be on that page, and I will see all of you witches in June for the Pride Market. And finally, in case you haven't visited the Willow Wings Witch Shop lately, there are four new powders you can pick up to help augment your craft. In addition to my books and the old standards like Banishing Powder and Lux Salt and Show Merch, you can also purchase vials of Curse Turner Powder, Deflection Salt, and two different kinds of Job Finder Powder, one for quick turnarounds and gig-based work, and one for more long-term employment. So make sure you check that out if you're planning any spell work that might be helped by a little magic dust. These are all recipes from Pestle Work as well, so if you are enjoying the powders, please feel free to pick up a copy of that book, and I will be sure to link everything in the show notes. Right, with all that out of the way, let's get into it. So, to start off, books for beginners are the thing that I get asked about most frequently. You're definitely going to want some books on basic craft techniques in your library. Now, I realize that that can cover a lot of ground because there are a lot of craft techniques and a lot of basics to study. It is okay to be subject-focused here and to only get the ones that apply to your personal interests. If you're interested in herb magic, 
get something about herb magic. If you're interested in tarot, get something about tarot. If you're interested in divination as a broader term, you could look for books sort of under that heading. And if you're not sure whether a particular book is right for you, the best tip I can give you is to check it out at a library. Seriously, our local libraries need us so much right now, so just give them all the support you can. If your local branch doesn't carry the book you're looking for, they may be willing to order a copy or to borrow one from another branch. You can also skim at public bookstores, so long as you have the time and the relative privacy while out in public to do so. And please, I'm begging you, do not go looking for free PDFs of recently published or independently published books online. Sure, they might exist, but authors need sales to put bread on the table. And many writers in the comparatively niche paganism and witchcraft publishing arena are making a literal pittance for each copy that sells. I know there's a lot of talk about, you know, oh, piracy this and torrent that. It's different when you're downloading a show or a movie where people have already been paid Authors need sales to eat. Speaking from personal experience here, if you want to search places like Project Gutenberg or Google Scholar or Global Gray eBooks for public domain works or previews, or get a subscription to a place like Scribe to save money on your book budget, go for it. They are awesome resources. And if you have access to JSTOR, there are hundreds of articles on the history of magic and witchcraft and folklore that you can read online or add to your archives. Lots of them are available in ebook or PDF formats for those of you who prefer digital texts or want to build an online grimoire. If you attend a college or university, or you have a library or a historical society or a museum near you that allows people to use their public computers, ask the staff if they have access to JSTOR. Often they will have sort of a institutional subscription and you can use that for free. All you have to do is download the articles in PDF format, stick it on a thumb drive or a cloud drive that you can log into and take it home. It's awesome. I've used it for my own research. I absolutely love it. There's also Libby, which allows you to remotely access the ebook and audiobook archives of a number of public libraries with a single membership. These are great portable resources, whether you're still in the broom closet or practicing openly, and a great way to preview books before you buy them as well. If a book interests you, take a look. If it pulls you in, read it. If it resonates with you, consider buying a copy. And remember, as you do this, that you're not required to learn about every single area of witchcraft or magic or occultism in order to be a proper witch, I trust you hear how heavy those air quotes are, or to be considered competent. 
It's okay to focus on the things that interest you, especially when you're starting out and there's just this huge plethora, this mountain of information staring you down. So long as you make sure you have practical resources to match them, you will be fine. There are going to be a lot of books to wade through and a lot of information. And while the market is practically glutted with Witchcraft 101 type titles, it's important to note that not all books on witchcraft and paganism are appropriate for beginners. It's just a fact. And I don't mean that in some elitist gatekeepy, these are deep magical secrets, not for the uninitiated kind of way. I mean that some books simply aren't appropriate for beginners as foundational texts. Whether it's because they're outdated, or contain bad information, or require some context to be fully understood, or need to be read very critically, or just shouldn't be someone's first exposure to the core concepts of modern witchcraft, there are some books that just aren't for beginners. And that's okay. Not because beginner witches are stupid, or incapable of reasoning or thinking critically. Of, of course you're all intelligent people with reasoning skills. It's just that some things need to be read with an eye of at least a little bit of experience just for proper perspective. You need a little bit of experience and a little bit of research in order to put some things into their proper context to understand where they're coming from, the time they were written in, what was trying to be said then, which bits of it are still relevant, and which bits need to be discarded and never spoken of again. Brand new witches aren't necessarily going to have that information right off the bat because that's something that takes time and research and discussion with other witches to acquire. It's like... Uh, picking produce. When you first start out, you probably aren't going to know apples from oranges as far as resources go. Everything looks good, everything's exciting, everything seems like a good option. You probably have some idea of what you want to try out, but it's hard to know which resources are right for you and what you want to accomplish. If you're trying to bake a pie, for instance, some recipes are better served with oranges for a nice meringue or apples for, you know, a nice comfortable apple pie. So you try things and along the way you'll find out that apples and oranges are different and that there are different varieties of each one and that there are many other kinds of fruit besides and what you can do with them and how to tell a good piece of fruit from month-old dog shit in pretty wrapping. First impressions are really hard to unlearn and if your first exposure to witchcraft is something that is hella problematic that's going to be a hard pattern to break out of later on. I mean, look at all the trouble we've had over the years trying to unteach all the Silver Ravenwolf bullshit that was so pervasive in the 90s. And yet, and yet, we're still seeing some of those older books 
being recommended to new witches. And I'm not just talking about the Google search engine results or the top rated ads that people have purchased on Amazon for their own work. Honestly, I cringe anytime I see Buckland's complete book of witchcraft being recommended as a foundational text. For brand new witches, like sweet darling poppets straight out of the cauldron, I, I, I physically wince. Not because it's a bad book, or because Buckland was inherently a bad resource, although he is very problematic, but because it's both a very niche text for a very specific type of magical tradition, and because it is horrendously outdated. 1986, this book was published by a guy who hadn't updated his thought processes since the 1960s, and you can tell. And not just because he is so focused on gender-based rituals or the burning times. But you're only going to be able to recognize that if you have context, if you have some other point of reference. Only if you've seen something else that says, hey, there's more than one way to be a witch. There's more than one way to do magic. You don't need a huge ritual for everything. You don't need to call on deities. You don't need to be naked. You don't need to involve gender roles or fancy tools or obscure substances. And by the way, there was no secret European witch cult. If you haven't heard or read or been told any of that, Buckland's word might as well be gospel, and for many witches for a lot of years, it was. Because that's your first apple, and when it's your first apple, you can't tell if it's good, and you don't yet know that there are better ones out there. We'll be back with more Hex Positive after this brief sponsored break. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast and would like to help support the show, make sure you visit the Willow Wings Witch Shop. There you can pick up copies of Grove Daughter Witchery, The Sisters Grimoire, and Pestle Work, or shop for specialty items you won't find anywhere else, like witch web kits, vials of my homemade banishing powder, and podcast merch. Use code HEXPOSITIVE to get a special surprise with your order. Visit brinagarin.wordpress.com shop and place your order today. And now, back to the show. So, while you're picking your apples, sorry, books, let's discuss a few things you may want to look out for. These are just some basics, this is hardly an exhaustive list, and you'll probably pick up others along the way. Let's call it a small red flag checklist. Look for a known disreputable author. This is the first thing I look for. If the author is either a known source of bad information or bad behavior or one of those house names that certain companies use to smack on the same content 10,000 times, that's a no for me. So like A Silver Raven Wolf or one of those Wicca basics you see on Amazon that all have the same author or the same sort of author name, but the content does not vary. Keep in mind, there's no such thing as an unproblematic witchy author, including me. 
and you do need to do just a little bit of research. Uh, at bare minimum, just check to see if they have a social media presence, see if they have a website, try and find out something about the author and their views before you go buying their books. And if you end up with something that is problematic or that doesn't work for you, you can always phase it out, but we will come back to that. Look for what I like to call New Age White Witch Syndrome. If a text has a more than incidental or a very deliberate focus on culturally appropriative practices, use this exotic voodoo doll ritual to hex your ex. Outdated terminology like black magic or that G slur we don't use, etc. Anti-Semitic bullshit, Lilith is not a pagan goddess. Or anti-science rhetoric, essential oils are better than pills. Haha. <laughs> And yes, this means the ever-expanding list of racist dog whistles, too. Basically, if it's a whole lot of New Age woo-woo speak, if you can't make heads or tails of it for all the buzzwords in every paragraph, or if the author goes on about higher vibrations or star seeds or indigo children, that's eugenics. Put it down. Beware of a poor misunderstanding or misrepresentation of history. If someone's repeating Murrayisms, the whole great white Western witch cult nonsense, or insisting things are ancient that definitely aren't, potato goddess, ancient Irish potato goddess, oh boy. That says to me that either the author didn't bother to do their research, or they don't know what they're talking about. And yes, this includes all the authors who buy into and perpetuate the myth of the burning times. It occurs to me that not everyone knows the story of the ancient Irish potato goddess. Pause. Minor aside. Uh, there's a book called Witta by Edain McCoy that's allegedly about this ancient Irish uh, pagan tradition. And in the book, McCoy makes the claim that um, potatoes were sacred to this great Mother Earth goddess uh, that was part of this whole Witta tradition. Uh, the issue being that potatoes are not native to Ireland or even to Europe. They are native to Peru, if memory serves, and they didn't actually even reach the European continent until the reign of Queen Elizabeth I. So, yeah, not ancient. There would be no ancient goddess associated with potatoes in Ireland, because Ireland didn't have potatoes for a very long time. Other tuberous vegetables notwithstanding, it's just something to look out for. It's, yes, this sounds very nice and very sensible, but if you look slightly into it, the whole concept falls apart. And the book Witta is rife with so many other historical inaccuracies. One of these days, I'm actually going to see if I can get my senpai, Trey Dorn, to sit down with me and just quietly pick this thing apart because, oh boy, so much. Anyway, back to the red flags. 
beware of authors who insist that there is one correct way to be a witch or to do witchcraft. If I encounter anything in a book resembling this is the only true way, the book is probably going out the window. The more so if the author is citing their personal experience or their own unshared personal gnosis as fact. Basically insisting that their own headcanons are the proper way to do things. And while it's fine to include some of your personal experience, some of your UPG, in your work if you're an author because it's good to share your experience and to give that context for what you're talking about, to tell people that this is the way I do things and therefore it is the way that you and everyone else should do things is a step too far. Look for an insistence on gendering everything. Herbal correspondence is notwithstanding because it's based on an older system where everything was assigned a gender and a temperature and a planet and so forth. If a book insists on assigning a binary gender to everything, even symbolically, or it is boomboxing sacred women's womb magic throughout the text, or even if it's just overly preoccupied with fertility and childbearing and menstruation as part of the natural life cycle, personally, I'm immediately putting it down. That's more of a personal red flag for me in a way because I'm not always comfortable with witchcraft that focuses on reproduction and wombs and genitals, basically, as a focus for magic. But if you see a lot of that in general, it can be a red flag for some turfy, transphobic things as well, uh, particularly if you start reading about the Dianic Wiccans. Beware a book with a lack of sources. If there's no bibliography, no work cited, no recommended reading, or just a really flimsy list that's rife with internet links or problematic titles or something that only cites other witchcraft texts, that's not a good sign. This one's not even an opinion. You really do need to see sources in witchcraft and paganism books. And hopefully those sources won't just be a wall of New Age titles. You need some practical stuff in there. If someone is citing history, they should have a practical history source in their bibliography. If they're talking about herbs, they should have some practical herbology and botany books in their bibliography. If they don't, personally, that would make me worry about how much research they've done and where they're getting their information. Now, if they have citations throughout, if they have footnotes, that's amazing, so long as the sources are good. Not every book will have these. Uh, it's, it's purely a formatting thing in most cases, I think. Uh, but if you happen to see one that does have footnotes, it's usually a pretty good sign. And speaking of good signs, 
Let's talk about some green flags, because it's just as important to know what you should be looking for, what indicates something that could be a good resource. And, as I just indicated, sources. Lots of sources, and good sources. If the book has a nice fat bibliography, especially if there are practical sources as well as magical ones, and if those sources are solid, A+. Double points, as I said, if there's an index or footnotes and citations throughout the text, just mm, chef kiss, 10 out of 10, no notes, love it. The better researched a book is, the more likely it is that an author has taken practical matters into account and isn't just repeating whatever the last Llewellyn text said. Look for health and safety warnings, especially in books that have anything to do with plants or anything to do with topical or consumable potions, treatments, and the like. If there are notes for safe handling or harvesting of potentially harmful herbs, or warnings about health hazards, i.e. keep this away from persons who are pregnant or nursing, or reminders to be careful with fire and glass and stuff like that. This is a good sign. To me, that says that the author has a practical mindset as well as magical knowledge and is at least keeping real-world safety concerns and limitations in mind, which is important. I've said many times that too often people forget that magical fire is still, you know, fire, and that things that touch fire can burn, and that, you know, you still need to observe basic fire safety when you're doing your magic. Look for inclusive language as well. If the author refers to the reader or an unidentified person as you or they or them, that's probably a good sign. Double points if it's in a context that you would normally expect to see gendered in another text. There's always room for gender in language when it is appropriate for it to be there, but to me, and to a lot of other witches that I've spoken to, it's refreshing when an author doesn't assume that any reader of a witchcraft book identifies as female. Because so many witches, you know, don't. Look for a lack of a guru mindset. Uh, Trey Dorn did a, a wonderful episode about this back in February, the whole come and sit at the feet of the great teacher nonsense. Uh, if the author encourages the reader to take what they've learned and continue to do research on their own, that's a good sign. Encouragement of critical thinking is excellent, and also the admission that there is more than one way of doing the magical thing. Highly Personal one, for me, good formatting. A book should be visually appealing, but it should also be easy to read and formatted properly in a way that makes sense. Um, that means clean margins, good spacing, clear text that is appropriately sized, and in a font that is easy to read. 
page decorations and pictures and color and fancy fonts are fine, so long as they don't make the book difficult to decipher. I mean, if your text is getting swallowed up in the aesthetic, it's really not going to resonate with many people because they're not going to be able to read your pages. Now, there are lots of red flags in witchcraft and pagan literature beyond what I've listed here, and there are lots of green ones, too. And it can be hard to recognize them just at a glance. So, as I mentioned before, if you do end up with a book that seems fine at the outset, but later turns out to be, let's just lump it all under the word nope, you can always get rid of it. This seems like a good time to talk about curating your collection. Once you've gotten a fair amount of resources together, you're going to want to review it periodically. Not just for research and refresher purposes, but to make sure that what's there is still useful, still relevant, and still a good resource. You may decide to keep your beginner resources, or you may decide at some point to recycle or trade or pass on the books that no longer serve your practices. It all depends on how much of an archive you want to build and what your storage space constraints are. For me personally, there's no such thing as too many books, only not enough bookshelves and too small of a room to keep them in, but of course your mileage may vary. What I will advise keeping are your mundane resources, and yes, you should have them. Naturally, these also require some fact-checking, and you can weed them out if needed, but if you find a good copy of a foundational text or a practical research that works for you, hang on to it. I've talked a little bit in previous episodes about the need for practical education alongside your magical learning, and that should be a big part of building your witchcraft library as well. If you're leaning into green witchcraft, make sure you have some practical books on biology or gardening or herbology. If you're working with stones and crystals, find yourself a nice full-color guide to identifying rocks and minerals. And, of course, no self-respecting kitchen witch would be caught dead without at least a handful of cookbooks. Beyond that, you might want books on astronomy, or marine biology, or field guides for identifying local flora and fauna, depending on where your focus lies. And regardless of what type of practice you have, it's a good idea to collect some practical resources on folklore, mythology, and history, both antique and modern. I usually recommend a pairing of Margaret Adler's Drawing Down the Moon and Ronald Hutton's The Triumph of the Moon as sort of a starter set for your history section, as they both cover the modern witchcraft movement in very thorough and well-researched scholarly terms, with lots of those delicious, delicious sources and citations we talked about earlier. It couldn't hurt to have books on broader topics as well, anthropology, sociology, religion, psychology, just to name a few. 
these are not strictly necessary, of course, but if you run into a lot of material that makes claims about this or that culture or this or that religion or this or that thing that's symptomatic of whatever spiritual gift, I'm sorry, just tinnitus is not spirits trying to talk to you. It's just not. It can be helpful to have your context makers readily available. And that's really the point of having all these practical mundane resources. Context. Critical thinking, fact-checking, and discernment are your friends. They are our common-sense superpowers and we keep them strong. And having resources in your library that can help give you a finely-tuned bullshit filter are very helpful. It's very easy to stumble into New Age rhetoric or neo-pagan misinformation that sounds really good on the surface. And depending on your personal background, it might even resonate with you really, really strongly. But it's important to be able to say, no, the Burning Times thing is just a myth and the whole indigo children starseed thing is a product of eugenics. Remember that none of us are immune to propaganda and always, always, always do that homework. As with your spell work and your personal practice, your craft library does not have to be reviewed by other witches. Although it is kind of fun to share those pictures and compare titles. I know I love a good shelfie. And you can organize your materials in whatever way makes the most sense to you. By author, by subject, by size, by title, or what have you. There's really no wrong way to do it, although I do get a little personally suspicious of people who organize their books by color. There's nothing objectively wrong with it. It's just that the librarian who lives in my head is like, how do you ever find anything? If you're particularly documentation-oriented, like me, you can also make your own personal library listing of titles and authors and subject matter. This step is purely optional, but keeping a quick list of titles you already own can help prevent double purchases when your collection starts to grow, or when new editions of older books come out with new cover art. I started my own catalog after the third time I accidentally bought something I already had in my collection. Oops. It's also helpful to have something like this once you begin to phase out materials that are unhelpful or objectionable or that just don't serve you anymore. Then you can make a little note to yourself to not get that title again or such like. But again, it's not a required step, just a little suggestion of something that I have personally found useful. One final note before we wrap things up, returning as promised, books are indeed a luxury. They can be expensive, especially when you're running on a tight budget to begin with, as so many of us are, and even using free resources Building an extensive library of resources, good resources, takes time. I have a pretty extensive library now, but there was a time, there was a time, 
when all of my witchcraft books and resources fit onto a single shelf with room to spare for a shoebox of herbs and a single deck of tarot cards. Baby, how far we've come. So, as with everything else in the craft, be patient with yourself and don't measure your progress or your satisfaction against the people around you, particularly the ones who have been at the craft for longer than you have. Instead, focus on creating a collection that is helpful and meaningful to you, that will inform your practice and help you grow into a well-read and well-rounded witch. I'll be posting a list of some recommended titles in the show notes over on my WordPress as promised, but I do want to recommend that everyone pick up a copy of Adler's Drawing Down the Moon and Hutton's Triumph of the Moon, as I said, to start the history section of your personal library. They are very good books. They are dense, but they make excellent references. They are written by a couple of very highly respected authors, and they make a really good base for a bullshit detector when it comes to the modern witchcraft movement. So if you can get your hands on those titles, go for it. So, that does it for this month's episode. I will be following this up at some point with a little discussion on how to organize your personal grimoire, since that's sort of tangentially related to the subject matter. Haven't decided if that will be its own episode, or if I'm going to lump that in with a larger discussion about the written records we keep of our personal journeys with the craft. We will just have to see. In the meantime, if you're in the Richmond area, make sure you check out that Norse Witch Market at Triple Crossing Brewery on Sunday, May the 14th. Uh, they are a wonderful group of people. Please do stop by and show them some love. And speaking of showing some love, Hex Positive is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network, where you can find lots of shows from live play tabletop RPGs to history to our equally wonderful sibling show, BS Free Witchcraft, hosted by everyone's favorite fabulous curmudgeon, Trey Dorn. You can check out everything they have to offer over at nerdandtie.com and also get an invite to join our Discord server where the witches have pretty much taken over. Make sure you also visit the Willow Wings Witch Shop where you can purchase those new powders, copies of my books, show merch, and lots more. Until next time, I'm Brina Garen, reminding you to stay safe, cite your sources, and in a return to the old byline, always practice safe hex. Hex Positive is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network. Check out everything they have to offer, including our sibling podcast, BS Free Witchcraft, over at nerdandtie.com. Intro and outro music by Kevin McLeod. For all the latest updates, follow at hex underscore podcast on Twitter. You can also follow me at at Garen on Twitter and Instagram. For more information on my books, you can check out my WordPress and my Amazon author page. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Garen. Stay safe, wash your hands, and remember, always practice safe hacks.